Oh, how he loves you and me. Do you know that song? Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. So I forget the rest right now. (laughs) Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. And they'll say, sing another song, Daddy. And I think about the Lord and how he sings over us. With great shouts, he sings over us. What must his voice sound like? I think we think of this big, powerful, booming voice. But the prophet heard it in the still and quiet. And I'm sure it is like the sound of many rushing waters, too. And all of the above. What it is to be loved by God. Like, this week, um, we're going to be studying this evening. Probably one of my, I think everything I'm studying, probably agree, is like, this is my favorite. But this time I'm serious. This is one of my favorites. I love talking about who God is. Oh, to be loved by this God. I was thinking about that as I came in this morning after my study, or after, this evening after my study. I was like, this God loves me. He loves his church, and I'm part of that church. Last week, we looked at the communable attributes of God. What does that mean? Communable. Right now, I'm communing with you. We're talking. We're fellowshipping. I'm looking at you. You're looking at me. We're having an experience. We're communing. And we can relate to God in some of the ways that he is, not fully, but in part. He is love. I love my wife. I know what it is to love. Not perfectly, not like the Heavenly Father, but I do love. Um, Gentle. His gentleness, his beauty. I've seen beauty. Like I know what beauty looks like. But God is perfectly beautiful, perfect in all these ways. But we can commune with him. We have an idea. This evening, we talk about the incommunable things, the things that you do not know about God. He reveals himself to you, but because of who you are, you, can, you don't have a clue. We hear his words But we're like, what does that mean? Um, This evening, we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture. In fact, Luke, if you could pass out those handouts, we're going to be going through a bunch of scripture. Guys, when we talk about these deep things of the Heavenly Father, they don't, you don't comprehend them ever, but you don't get them at all in casual conversation. Understanding of these things takes, you have to meditate on them. You have to stop. You have to think about the words you're reading. Think long about even a little passage that could blow your mind. And you look at them and you're thinking, I never saw that before. And you will never, we're going to be looking at things this evening that are inexhaustible about the Lord. So we... Have a handout for you. We're going to be going through all of these verses and more, and you're not going to remember them. So we wrote down a bunch because I want you to think on them the rest of this, the rest of your life, and to remember that you are loved. A believer is loved by this God. Um, We're going to be looking at the communable, incommunable attributes of God, and I'm going to be looking, relying heavily on my notes tonight. Um... Because uh, it's just, I, I, like I'm, I can kind of get it sometimes, not really, so, but I need help with, with my notes. Um, when it comes to like understanding the things of God, philosophy and science are no help. They're no help. Because philosophy and science, they want to, um, they want to measure things, they want to understand things, 
Philosophy tries to explain things, that tries to, to grip, to, to get a grasp on things, and you, go, and you go to God and he says, no, you will not explain me. You're not going to, to measure me. You're not able to do that. I, you, I cannot give you a full explanation of myself. Isaiah 46 says, For I am God and there is no other like me. It's not that God won't explain himself because that's what scripture is. Be comforted by this fact. There is a lot of scripture about the character of God. You know what that means? He tells you much. He doesn't just say, I'm God, deal with it. There is so much on who he is. What does that say about him? He wants you to understand him, to get him better. You will never fully comprehend him, but, but let's go deeper. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has put eternity in their hearts, in our hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. In my heart, I desire to know past my life. I want to know the things, the deep things of like what happened before creation and before that and what's going to happen. And Ecclesiastes says he's put it in the heart of man except this. No one can find out the work that God does from the beginning of the end. Why try then? Why even, why even bother doing something that you will never be able to fully do? at least in this earth. I'll tell you why. Jeremiah 9.24. But let him who glories glory in this, what? That he knows and understands his God. This is a noble thing for a believer to do, is to look into the deep things of God. Proverbs 25.2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but... It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. It is a noble thing, God says, for you to want to understand who he is. And he says, I want you to know much about me. And I'm going to tell you so much about my word. It's noble. You're not going to be able to do it. Not fully. But try. I'm going to help you. I've given you my word. Why can't we comprehend God? It's because we are creatures. We are in the category of creatures. Everything you have ever seen is created. Everything that you have ever heard is created. Every thought you have ever thought, every sound, you name it, is within the bounds of a creation. You want to try to understand God? Go to your FM dial and tune it. All day long, try to tune it and pick up 1280 AM. You cannot do it. And you can be as precise as you can, but you will never get it. Because I am a creation, I am FM, and God is the almighty AM. And unless, you get it? Unless he reveals himself, I can do that all day and I'll never get to 1280. I'll get from 88 to... Whatever the other end is, I forget because I don't listen to radio anymore. But I'll never get to AM. So what do we do? How do we grasp a God that is not created? He is wholly other. He is the creator. And from him and in him, all things proceed. And I don't have a category for this. God is not in these, but rather all, Scripture says all things consist in him. How do we start? We don't. A, a one writer said, this is how you start. It's by, look, it's by looking for a small, very small light. You don't look at the light. You kind of look to the side of it, and you kind of begin to see it. Or as I was thinking through my notes, like I, was walk, I walked by a, a barbecue, and like for a second I could catch a scent of the barbecue, and I'd be like, oh, that's what, and then the scent was gone. And that's how it is when you think of the things of the Lord. Like sometimes, like you'll be like, I think I get it a little bit. I see his greatness, but then you're like, but I don't. So how does God reveal himself to you? Andy, 
Why are you Andy? How'd you get that name? My parents gave it to me. Right. Nathan, how'd you get your name? Similar story. Same story? <laughs> what, about, what about you, buddy? Rick? Serious? Anybody got a different story? Probably not too different. You see, Jude, my son, he is Jude because my wife and I were present at his birth, and we said, he's Jude. Andy is Andy because Dave and Melody were at my birth, and they said, he is Andy. David Gerlach, my dad, is him because at his birth, his, my grandparents were there, and they said, this is David. Adam is Adam because God was there, and he said, this is Adam. How does God reveal who he is? He gives you his name. Think about this. God is the only being who never was named, who only named himself. Think about that. Nobody names themselves. Somebody was there at at their beginning and named them. And Moses says, God, when I go to the Israelites, who am I going to say sent me? And God gives himself a name. He says, tell them I am. I am that I am has sent me. And he's given himself a name and a little bit of who he is. I am, not I was, not I will be. I am. And you ask questions in life like, God, where were you when it all began? He says, I am. Where were you when I was born? And he says, I am there. Where were you? Will you be there when I am going through hard times in my life? He says, I am. I'm already there. Where will you be when I'm old? I am there too. He didn't say, I will be. He says, I am there right now. I'm not even there. And God says, I am that I am. His name reveals his character. He's all of them. He is the I am that I am. A little bit in his name. Um, this is nothing that any creature can know of. And our study tonight is us grasping something of God from what He has revealed to us. This is no man's wisdom. There's, there's no f- philosophy going on tonight. This is God's word revealing who he is, and there's no other way. Um, The first thing you're going to see in your notes is we're going to go through maybe three or four, and and we just don't have time to go through more, but there's so many more, of who God is, his character. God is independent. He's self-sufficient. This is a little... And I, some of this stuff I got out of a, a commentaries. Guys, if you want commentaries or stuff to read or books that go much further than I can, let, let us know. We, will, we, can, we can send you in that direction. It says, God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything. Yet we and the rest of creation can glorify him and bring him joy. That first part is so true, that second part is so amazing. God doesn't need anything, yet you bring him joy. He doesn't need you. Acts 17, 24, and 25 says, God made the worlds and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, and does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands. Think of all the things that people worship. They're so graspable. They're so in temples. They're so in the store. They're so in that house. And God says, no, I'm in nothing. I dwell, I live in nothing, no one place. It goes on. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life and breath. To all things. Job 41.11 says, Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. What do you have to offer to God? You have nothing to offer him that he would say, I didn't already have that. Psalms 50.10-12 says, For every beast of the forest, it's mine. 
And the cattle on a thousand hills, I know all the birds of the mountain and the wild beasts of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. But the world is mine in all of its fullness. Like God does not need favors from men. You could offer up your best and say, God, here, this is for you. And it would be nothing. Nothing that he didn't already have. You could put together all of the sciences, all of the philosophers, all of our great achievements with Felix jumping out of the balloon and going really fast, and God would say, big deal. You could put together all of humanity as a sacrifice, and it would not suffice the all-sufficient God. It's not enough. Imagine if you owed me a bunch of money. Okay, we'll just say a bunch. And so here's what you did. You go to my bank account and you get out more money than you owed me. You owe me 10000 and you take out of my bank account $20,000 that's not there. And you come up to me and you go, here you go, Andy. I'm giving you double. And I'm like, why'd you do that? That's already my money. It's nothing to me. That's what we try to do to God is we, we try to do these silly little sacrifices as if God says, thanks, man, I really needed that. No. God says, even if I did need something, why would I ask you? All things are from me. If I needed something, I would bring it in of myself and give it back to me, which is nothing you know. That's amazing. These are, these are amazing thoughts in Scripture. Let's keep going. No one supplies God of anything. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. There is nothing that was made that God didn't make. And everything outside of that, it's God's. There's nothing else there. Quite the contrary. Outside of God's creation, there is nothing else. Tanner mentioned this last week, but within the Godhead, there is perfect perfection. He doesn't need my love as if um, he's like, man, I just wish Andy would love me. He has perfect love with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. They love each other perfectly. You know what that means? They're never lacking because if the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit didn't love each other perfectly in, that, in the Trinity, that would mean that there would be imperfection. That's a problem. But they love each other perfectly, which is a mystery of why they created us. Because they're so different than us. We would never do that. He has perfect communication. God, like Tanner said last week, God did not create us because he was lonely. Um, This is the best illustration I can think of. Let let me say this first. He did not create us because he was lonely. If God could grow lonely, that would mean that he was without something. That's a problem. That means God is not whole. He was lonely. There was something missing, so he created something to fulfill that. No. He had perfect harmony within the Godhead. And therefore, he would not even be God as the, as the title God exists if he needed something because God needs nothing. God has everything to the fullest all the time and it all comes from within himself. Have you ever, I, I know you guys have been to marriages. Pretty soon Rick and Julia's marriage is going to come up. Imagine this, Rick. Imagine it's your wedding, and you don't have to imagine for much longer. How much longer? Yes, three months. And after the wedding, I come up to Rick, and I go, Rick, me and you are friends. You want me to hang around? Rick would be like, what, are you crazy? (laughs) No. And then Rick's dad would come up to him and be like, Rick, I'm your father. I, um... I was there since day one. Are you going to miss me now? Like, uh, I know you, you really love Julie and all, but like, um, and you're married, but like, should we, like, you, 
can't we keep hanging out? And Rick would say, no, I want to be with my wife. Have you ever seen a married couple? They don't want, they don't need to be with anybody else. And this is an imperfect illustration. All illustrations are because we're dealing with humanity. But if you ever watch a couple that just got married, they just want to be together. They love one another. Now picture perfect love in the Godhead. They did not create because they were lonely. And you think Rick and Julie are in love? You ain't don't know nothing. You don't know nothing, Rick. <laughs> but you were loved by a perfect love. That's what Tanner's read in John 17. That's amazing. That's an imperfect illustration. But I think that God gives us these illustrations so that we get a clue. We can kind of see the light by looking to the side and we say, huh, I think I get that a little bit. Um, There is not one moment in your entire existence that you have been independent. You'd like to think so. But from the first bit of life that you got from your mother's umbilical cord, think about it. You have been borrowing. You have been needing. Job 13, 14, 34, 14, and 15 says this. Take a deep breath real quick. Take a deep breath and let it out. Now listen to this verse. If he should set his heart on it, this is God, and if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish and all man would return to dust. Do you realize that even the breath you took is just borrowed? Why do you think there's life? There's life because God exhaled into Adam and he became alive. And every, every animal that lives, every tree and fish and you and all of that life is because life proceeds from God. And he says, if I was to take it all back, you'd be dust. You are not independent. You know nothing of independence. You'd like to think so. But even right now, you're borrowing breath. That's not yours and much more. Let's keep going. Why does this matter? I want, I want to look at the attributes, and then I want to ask a question. Why does this matter? Here's why it matters. Isaiah 64, 6 says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. You see, you've got to get this idea straight in your head that there is nothing that you can do that God needs. The best you can do, God says, it's filthy rags. There's only one perfect son who perfectly offered up himself. And we do these things for God, trying to earn his love and earn his perfection. We study our Bibles and we say, God, did you see that? And we go to campus and we talk to, sheepishly talk to people and we walk away. We're like, man, Lord, you must really be proud of me really landed on the line here. You could lay your life on the line and God would say, I didn't need that because he's all sufficient. Let me read the first half of that, second half of that definition real quick again. God does not need us or the rest of creation, yet we and the rest of creation can glorify him and bring him joy. That's amazing. That's incredible. He doesn't need us, but he loves, loves it. He sings over you. Those who trust in his name. Let's keep going. Okay, God is unchangeable. He does not change. He cannot change. The word is immutable. God is unchanging, the definition, in his being, perfection, purposes, and promises. Yet, God does feel and act and feel emotion, and he acts and feels differently in responses, in response, in different situations. You know what change is? Here's what changes. You either change for the better, or you change for the worse. You don't ever change and stay the same. 
Change is going in this direction better or this direction worse. God does not change. If he could, if God could get better, and part of me would like to think that. Part of me would like to think God is growing in perfection and he's growing in love and he's growing in this. And what would that mean? That means that if God was growing and he's getting better here, at this point here, he's not as good as he is at this point here. So at this point here, he's worse off. God doesn't change. He's the same. He's perfect perfection. He doesn't know, he doesn't know change. Then, if God could change for the worse, that's a big problem. That means he's untrustworthy. That's, that's a huge problem. He's immutable. He does not change. He's, he would be untrustworthy otherwise. Let's read some scripture together to back this up. Psalms 102, 25 through 27. Of old, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. Notice this. This is what God does in scripture. He knows you don't get it. So what he does is he uses your own life and the own, your, the own things that you know, like the world and your flesh. And, and he says, you perish. You get it? I don't. And he, he uses contrast by explaining himself to us. You're going to see this in this verse. Of old, um, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. But listen to this. You are the same, and your years will have no end. Malachi 3, 6 says, For I am the Lord. I do not change. Love these words. Like, like live, like, Memorize these short little verses. And when you doubt, I am, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Read James 1.17. For every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. That is so good to know that um, God is not, he's not a hypocrite. He doesn't say one thing and meet another. He's not a politician. He's not saying things so you'll follow him. And then a little bit later, he's like, guess what? That's not what I really meant. Not at all. That's what James is saying. Um, A theologian says this, the doctrine of God's immutability is of the highest importance for religion. The contrast between being and becoming marks the difference between the creator and the creature. Every creature is constantly becoming. It is changeable, constantly striving, rest, satisfaction, and finds his rest in God and him alone. For only he is pure being and becoming. Guys, if Christianity was founded on a God who changed, that would be terrible. That is the strength of God's word, is it does not change. You look at, um, here's a good question. If you see faiths that have changed and shifted their doctrine over time, that says something about the God they follow. I don't trust him. You know why? Because culture controls him. No way. Picture this. Culture is a river. It is flowing. It is going downhill. There's nobody's going to argue me with that. Okay? God's character does not change. It's a rock in that stinking river, and it does not move, and people hate it. They say, why don't you change? Why don't you adapt? Why don't you get with the times? And God says, I don't change for nobody. (laughs) I love that. That's scripture. Like, it doesn't change. It's the same. That means I can place my faith on it. And it won't change. Let's keep, um, let's keep reading. Consider the, these lyrics. We all sing them. We are a moment. You are forever. Lord of the ages. God before time. We are a vapor. 
you are eternal. You know this song, love everlasting, reigning on high. Like that's me and that's God. I'm a vapor, God's eternal. I'm for a moment, God, you're everlasting. Sometimes the best way we can learn is by strong contrast. Let's keep going. Psalms 103, 13 to 17. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Thank you, Evan, for reading this. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and I am gone. For it is gone. That's me. And its place is not even remembered. Walk through the, get a good perspective sometime. Walk through a, a graveyard. That's you in a few years. How many generations will it be till you're just forgotten? Not that many. God knows that. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. First part of that verse, as a father pities his children, so the Lord, he knows our frame. He knows you're a vapor. But he says, guys, guess what? I'm everlasting. What's your... What have you placed your faith in? Have you placed your faith in this God or just God? (laughs) Let's keep reading. Not so with God. He is exactly the same from Adam to Moses to Abraham to Jesus to Paul to Nathan. He doesn't change at all. That's good news. Why is this important? It's huge. Malachi 3, 6 says, I am the Lord. I change not. Listen to this. His power does not change. Hebrews 1, 12. His plans and his purpose do not change. Romans 4, 20. His promises do not change. 1 Kings 8, 56. His love and his mercy, they don't change. That's Psalms 103, 17. His justice does not change. Isaiah 28. Aren't you glad? Aren't you so glad that God doesn't, you, you trust in his, what he, in his love and then he, he retracts it. It does not change. We can take confidence in his word. It doesn't change. Psalms thirty three eleven. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plan of his heart to all generations, from Adam to Moses to Abraham and on and on to me. Man, that's good. That which he has written, we can place our faith in completely. This eliminates fear completely that we need to appease some temperamental and moody God. No. Scripture says, I am the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And forever. Hebrews 13. Let's keep going. God is eternal. He is self-existent. He's called in Scripture the Ancient of Days. Here's the definition. God has no beginning, no end, no succession of moments like we are experiencing right now in His being, and He sees all time equally vivid. Think about that one. He sees all time equally vivid. Yet, God sees events in time and acts in time. He sees all of it at one time, yet he acts in time. Let's unpack this. Psalms 90, verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting this way to everlasting this way, you are God. He's not confined. Job 36, 26 says, Behold, God is great, and we do not know him, nor can the number of his years be discovered. The number of his years. Do you know any number can be, um, every number is searchable, even big numbers They're still searchable. Even if you said a billion, God is a billion years old. We could search that out. We could see that it's very big. 
But Job says, nor can the number of his years even be discovered. You can't put a number, a measurement on the thing of, on God. Now, this is, these verses blow me away. Psalms 94, 90 verse 4 says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past and like a watch in the night. There's a lot going on right there. There's a lot going on. Let's read that again. For a thousand years, a big number in your single sight are like yesterday when it's past and like a night's watch. God sees, whoa, 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 what was that? God sees all time equally vivid. You see one second at a time, maybe less than that. God sees it all equally vivid. If he didn't, what would that mean? That means that there's some things that God has a little hazy on. No, not going to go there. How good's your memory? David, where were you eight years ago tonight? Do you know? Where were you three years ago? Tonight. October the 19th. Where were you a year ago, October the 19th? Where were you last week? This time. (laughs) I bet you that's vivid. Where were you three hours ago? Yeah. God sees all of that. You see how as as it got closer to real time, things get more vivid? There's no like, I think I remember, to, to God. God sees it. A thousand years, God, in your sight. But like yesterday, when it's past... And like a watch in the night, a watch in the night is three hours, three to four hours. That's not very long. Like you can remember what happened in three hours pretty good. That's how good God remembers a thousand years. The last three hours, think about them. Hmm, I got them. I was at home. I had some pizza. No, I didn't. See, I'm not even that good at this. And then I, I drove here, spent some time praying. Now I'm here. That's, that's God a thousand years, but better. All those years to God are a very short time, and he has perfect, perfect memory of all of them. Let's illustrate this. Um, can I have you three guys? Come on up. I was going to use chairs and set them up here, but got all these boxes. That you, if you want to help fill them, you can. This is how I picture like, God's vision. This is imperfect. Okay, let's say we got... Adam, perfect, as Adam. Tay, as Jesus. Andy, as Andy. And God, and, and we're talking thousands of years. You can, and you can actually, but you can see them all in one fell swoop. Actually, you, can't, you still have to look, but you still get the idea that you can kind of see them all at one time, and we're talking thousands of years here. That's how God sees all the time. Like, I don't, I don't believe this is the way it's happening, but I wonder if in the reality of God's mind that Andy is existing that Jesus is existing, this is not true, and Adam is existing. They are not all existing at one time, but the memory of them is perfect. As if you just heard me snap my fingers, because it's perfect memory. Thank you guys, you can sit down. Picture a CD. You can see a CD right here if I had one, but you can only watch it One scene at a time, God can pick up the CD and he sees it all. You know why? He made it. 
He's the producer, the director. (laughs) Put the actors in there. He gets it all at one time. And then somehow he can reach in and he acts within time. For when the time was right, God sent his son. He acts in time. Let's keep going. Because we're going we're gonna to take that. It, it, it gets bigger. Okay, now, let's think about 2 Peter 3.8, which is very, very similar to Psalms 90. Okay? So on one hand, we have a lot of years right here that happen like that to God. 2 Peter 3.8 says, One day... And this is talking about the patience of the Lord. One day as a thousand years to God and a thousand years as one day. And you've heard that first phrase in Psalms 90, but you didn't hear this. One day as a thousand years. What is the meaning? Now before you like, just just listen and then we'll think about this together. That is... One day to God seems to last for a thousand years. Not that he is locked in time like Groundhog Day. In other words, a day, this moment, is ever present to God to the extent and vivid perfection as if it were happening right now for a thousand years because he remembers it perfectly. One day, God says, is a thousand years because he has perfect knowledge, perfect memory of it. That blows my mind. You see, what we're doing right now, God won't forget like you in an hour. He'll remember it perfectly. And a week from now, when you've totally forgotten about this, he remembers it perfectly. And a year from now, and two years, and t- he will remember this moment, what you're thinking about, and as you're nodding off right now, he remembers it perfectly as if it were happening right now. That good. That's intense. Okay. On the other hand, time is a blink. A thousand years is a day to God. Why does this matter? What are we just like flexing our theological muscles? No. This is why it matters. Here's when you read scripture, does it ever feel like the stories in scripture just happened so long ago? Why do they matter to me? Like Abraham, I mean, really, that's a long time ago. That's a dangerous frame of mind to think that they happened a long time ago. And people use this to explain their way out of Scripture. That was in another time and another place and a planet far, far away. (laughs) Not to God. A thousand years is a day. Like to you, it seems like a long time ago. The cross seems so long ago. Not to God. Thank goodness, not to God. Let's take this concept and go a little further. Okay, so on one hand, let's think about Second Peter. Today, God has perfect knowledge for a thousand years and eternally of what you're thinking right now. He knows the sin that you are committing before it rolls off your mind. Psalms 139 says that he discerns the words before they roll off your tongue. Hebrews 4.12 says he discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart before they even crystallize into an action. He knows what you were intending. You know why? The end of Psalms 139 says, All your days were written in a book. Tomorrow is already old news to God for you. And he remembers it perfectly. And he will continue to remember it perfectly, eternally. That thought that you're ashamed of, what you did, God has perfect memory of it 
forever. That's scary. Because I know my own thoughts. Sometimes I worry about the own intents of my heart. I'll say good things for the wrong reason. And the Lord knows eternally. Let's resolve this. On the other hand, God views that and remembers that one day at Calvary. So vivid that what Jesus did as if it were happening right now and indeed forever. So on one hand, he's got Andy and all those nasty thoughts and actions. And he remembers them forever as if they were happening continually. And in essence, they're happening before... And then on the other hand, he's got Jesus Christ and the, the completed work, and he remembers it vividly as if it were happening forever. And in, in a sense, what I am doing in the mind of God is happening at the foot of the cross. Do you see that? Think about that. He's got this memory, and he's got this memory, and he holds them together. Reminds me of that song. Um, I wrote it down. My guilt upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Hence, those whom are covered by the blood of Christ are continually being interceded for because of what Christ did. The song goes on, his dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. This should have a profound effect in your life. If you think about, it should scare you to think that God has perfect knowledge of your self, your being. But it should bring you so much comfort that what Christ did, he also, it doesn't seem that long ago to him. Not at all. And he reconciles those two together. And Jesus, even now, is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. You know what that means? For those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Man, that's awesome. Because if it wasn't that way, you're in big trouble. (laughs) It wasn't, you can't say, man, that was a long time ago. I did that a long time. When I was young, I really screwed up. God says, I remember that perfectly. Remember that time when you offended me? I remember that perfectly. Remember when you hated me and you wanted to kill me in your mind? I remember that perfectly. Remember when you were in rebellion? It's like, it's, like, it's like it's happening right now. But that's a long time ago. Done. If, if, if I let it go, I compromise my justice, and I will not do that. Thank the Lord for Jesus. Let's keep talking here. Hebrews seven twenty five. 27. Therefore, he also is able to save to the utmost those who come to God through him, since he always lives Christ isn't just a memory in God's mind. Let's make that clear. He always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Listen to this. Who does not need daily, as those high priests offer up sacrifices, first for his own sin and then for the people. For he did once for all when he offered up himself, and God remembers it perfectly. And the cross echoes clearly through eternity. That is the meaning, or at least part of the application of Revelations 13.8 that says the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world eternally. Okay, Revelations that way, talks about from everlasting to everlasting Genesis. Before that, the cross. From everlasting this way, from before the foundations of the earth, to everlasting that way, the lamb who was slain is worshipped. That's the meaning of that, or at least part of the application, that God, God takes all those into his mind. Perfect memory. He holds it right here. How are we doing for time? I remember when I first read, um, not first read, but when I, uh, these, these things, they should keep you, they should wake you up at night. Do you ever get woken up and think, whoa, 
Or do you ever stay up late at night and you just think on the things of the Lord? Like I'll keep, a, um, I'll keep my phone beside my bed or a piece of paper and I'll quick email myself, like don't forget that. Like Psalms 139 did that. Acts 17 did that. And I remember praising the Lord. It's like, Lord, these are really, really beautiful thoughts of you. This is six years ago. And I, was, I was praying, Lord, if you will let me teach this, I'll do it because this is good stuff. I love to think on you. Do you, are, do, you, do you meditate in the Lord? Does it keep you up at night? Psalms 139, David says, you have hedged me in. You're behind me and you're before me. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to hell, yep, you're there. We can talk about that some other time. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. David says, you are unescapable, God. I don't get it. But there is no place I can go that you are not. That should comfort you and that should make you fear. You see, we have this idea that God is like up, far, away in heaven. You know, do you have that view? Do you ever have that view? You, you think God's out there, like a deist thinks. He's way out there, and he has nothing to do with me. And Paul says, quite the contrary. Rather this, it is, God is not out there, far away, but rather... In him, you live and have your being. Do you get that? He's not out there. We are in him. That's a huge difference. And I'm not going to say like God is the trees. No, I'm not going to say God is this pew. But if you think that God is not here, you're wrong. Because if God is not here, then something here is most powerful. And whatever is most powerful is God. That's a problem. Where is God not? He is all places. In him, Paul says, we live and move and have our being. David says, I can't. I go there, you're there. I go there, you're there. You're there, you're there. You're here. I can't can't escape you, God. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I don't get you, God. Man, that's good. It's good for me. Oh, how he loves you and me. What, how awesome to be loved by a God like that. How fearful to be punished by a God like that. Where are you at? There's so much more I want to talk to you about, but we're going we're gonna to stop. And I want to look at one more of what I think is an incommunicable attribute of God. And this may not be technical. Humility. I really don't think that I know anything of humility. Not when I think of Jesus. Not when I think of the Godhead. I want you to consider, I wrote this down because I want you to meditate on it. The infinite God became finite. The God who was all places, he's immeasurable became one man. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of a man. The God who is in him we live and move and have our being became one man. That's humility. It's much more than that too. The creator entered into his creation. Matthew one twenty three says he was born of a virgin. John 1 says he became flesh and dwelt among us. That's incredible. Like we can think of these silly little illustrations of like ant hills and like we become an ant in the hill and like hang out with the ants. It's much, much, it's much bigger than that. Like all creator God becomes into his creation. The timeless God, 
the God who is not bound by time, entered into one point in history. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God acted at that point. And he sent his son into that time. And Christ experienced what it means to wait. Christ experienced what it meant to check the sundial, I guess. God's never had to do that. That's humility. The omniscient God, the omni-all-learning God, this blows my mind. And I don't even like this. Learned. I don't like the fact that Christ humbled himself so much that he had to learn I like to think about Christ being an all-knowing fetus, and that's not true. You know why? Because Luke doesn't give me that permission. It says that Christ grew in wisdom. He learned. He didn't know how to talk. He didn't know how to count. Blows my mind. He learned. (laughs) Like, think about that. That bothers me. That level of humility, I don't like. You know why? Because I know nothing of that level of humility. Let's keep going. The God who does not grow tired, Psalms 129.4 says, what does it say? It says, the God who watches over Israel does not sleep nor slumber. You don't know nothing about that either. If you don't sleep, you know what happens to you? You end up dead. You must sleep. God who does not sleep. In John 4, 6, while he was sitting by the well and the, and the Samaritan woman came by, it says, so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting by, he grew tired. He got tired. Flesh wore down. The God who is in need of nothing, the all-sufficient one who has everything and all things came from him, on the cross said, I'm thirsty. That's amazing. He needed, he wanted, desired a drink. But God from whom life proceeds laid down his own life and died. Hebrews 12, 2, 14 says that he became just like his brothers. He experienced, humbled himself to the experience that he knows what it's like to be human, yet he never compromised his deity. He was fully God and fully man, and as he gave up his life on the cross, he did not compromise, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever the God who holds all things in place, he still did that while he died. Nothing came out of order. You know nothing of that. You don't know that level of humility. You don't know that level of control. It's because God is so much, who was like our God? There was no, none other. In him, all things hold together. God remained totally intact. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. What is your response to this? Worship? We'll talk about this next week. Praise? Adoration? Strength? Trust? Faith, hope, joy, love, humility. Let's pray. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I um, we look at you in your word, Lord, and. Amazement that you say, Christ said, you, you want us to pray all the time. 
and to come boldly, Lord, before the throne. And Lord, somehow you are high and lifted up, and yet you are intimately acquainted with each of your brother, uh, each of your sister. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. You are intimately acquainted with each of your children. You're both all the time. Lord, help us to love you as we should in your Son, Lord. Lord, help us to meditate on these truths. Lord, um, help them to keep us awake. Thank you, Lord, for the perfect love that you as such a powerful God gives freely, but with a cost to us, Lord. May it change us eternally, Lord. We dedicate, Lord, this night to you and, Lord, our very lives to you too. For you are worthy of this and so much more. Amen. I'm going to ask the guys to uh, come up and uh, lead us in, in singing to this great and glorious God. And I'd encourage you that when we're done, to talk with one another about him. And to stir up praise in your own hearts with one another of him. I know, I, know, I know you. I do the same thing. We dig the deep treasures of Scripture, the gems, the noble things. And we look at the guy on the right and we say, how's your weekend? I don't know why. I don't know why, I don't know why we do that, but that's what we do. And I would encourage you to speak of him this evening. Let's sing. Thank you.